You're listening to the horror. Welcome to the horror. Hi, I'm Owen. I like horror movies. And I'm Russell Sharman. And I I am very confused and don't know how to feel. Oh, that's so sweet. I love I love that uncertainty. That's not that's not common with you, Russell. That's I, I it's not that I'm unsure about how I feel about horror movies. It's unsure how I feel about humanity. Oh, <laughs> after well, what I just watched. So we, after being at Fantastic Fest for a live recording, uh, we let the audience suggest a number of different films for us to be our next film to watch together. And uh, and then Tim League made the final decision, founder of the Alamo and Fantastic Fest, and they chose Martyrs, 2008 horror film Martyrs. For those of you who haven't seen it, it's actually this is the first time for any of these films that I hadn't seen. I was aware of the movie, and it has you know a really great reputation, but I I've, I'd never I'd never actually seen it. Um, so it's a it was written and directed by Pascal Leguera, I think maybe I'm pronouncing that right, and came out in 2008. It's a let's see if the if this is a a, a synopsis that does not give too much away. It's it's story of a young girl who escapes a, a situation of extreme torture and abuse, and it's unclear who did this to her. Uh, growing up in an orphanage, she's befriended by another girl who they become tight friends, and then 15 years after her escape, she is seeking revenge, perhaps misguided, definitely unstable, and her friend is is still trying to take care of her. Things go apeshit <laughs> from there. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I don't know if we can really talk about this without some spoilers. Oh, I agree. I agree. I think it, so. For for anyone who does not want spoilers on this film, uh, this is probably you can go ahead and skip this. Go back to The Exorcist. <laughs> go back to the good times of Friday the Thirteenth Part Four, the final chapter. <laughs> Which seems so comforting now, so cute. It, doesn't it though? Right? I'm good. Yeah, this movie was uh, it was it was it was not easy watching. It was not easy watching. I was uh, I squirmed a lot. I was moving around and making noises. I'm seeing Joker later on today, and uh, that's gonna be it's gonna be a snooze fest now. It's like, <laughs> there's nothing disturbing. Well, it's interesting you bring up Joker because I've been having this conversation with my students the last few days, and there's nothing worse than uh, people sitting around talking about a movie they've not seen, which I've not seen Joker yet either. But I know it fits into this category of movies that pundits and critics and usually rather narrow-minded moralistic folks think are quote-unquote dangerous because of their subject matter. Oh, yeah. And in some ways, I feel like Joker right now is a poster child for that kind of movie, whether it was, you know, Natural Born Killers in its day or Badlands in its day. Yeah. This idea of of a movie being morally irresponsible. And for the most part, I tend to feel, I don't know, I guess a bit on the fence uh, in, the, in the sense that I'm, I'm very much committed to the First Amendment and uh, movies are movies, they're not real life. And mm-hmm. so in some ways... I agree in principle on something that you've said many times, which is, you know, in particular horror movies allow you to process very, very bad things in a safe way. Like, I'm going to bore with that in the abstract. But this movie, Martyrs, really challenges that in a very complicated way, which challenges. Which uh, you're saying that's such an interesting thing. Okay. So you felt that Martyrs 
challenges your feeling that a, a, a film um, has a moral responsibility? Well, kind of, I guess I'm saying the opposite is that, is that I don't hold films morally responsible or irresponsible. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and why I say Martyrs is complicated is as I've, so I watched it two days ago. So I've been sitting with it for a couple of days. My immediate mm. reaction was this is grotesque in a, and, and we'll talk about form over content because mm. this film, there's very little room for me to critique its formalist properties. It's a, it's a very well-made film. It's a brilliantly made film. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, there, it, it, I would venture to say it's flawless in its execution, if not deeply flawed in its narrative, but, but that's the crux of my problem is that when I when I sit with like what the film is about and what is how it's a, approaching its theme, it's also hard for me, despite how brutal it is, to really, I don't know, I guess I'm at war within myself. There's a part of me that wants this movie to be burned at the stake, <laughs> huh. um, pun intended. Martyr, uh, yes. <laughs> yes, and, and a part of me that has to respect its commitment to its core idea. Okay, so I thought the movie was great. It's a question of whether I want to see the movie again. Uh, I had a friend once tell me, I thought this was such a good ex expression of like, we were talking about whether you loved a novel or a book or anything. He said, do you hunger for the experience of experiencing that book or film for the first time? So it doesn't matter if you want to see it again, but do you hunger for that experience again? He said that I, it was a kind of, for him, that's how he, he would judge if something, that he loves something or not. Um, as opposed to the idea of like, I want to reread this or rewatch this again and again and again. I'm presuming you, you don't. <laughs> you would rather not have these images in your head. Well, some of them unequivocally. Uh, unequivocally, I do not want the images of, of in particular, the, the last third of the film, which, you know, spoiler territory is complicated here, but uh, the the brutality of a man against a woman is definitely yes. not something I want in my head in the first place, much less want to revisit. Right. So in that sense, some of the other violence is not that far off from what I've seen in a Tarantino or a Scorsese movie. So, in fact, I'd like to sort of at some point in this conversation go back and sort of walk ourselves through this movie because it... It's really three different movies. Yeah. It, and, and each one, you think you know what you're watching, and then it turns. Right, right. And at some point, I mean, it's, it's funny you're talking about the last third, because the last third, would, you know, would traditionally be kind of the idea of a third act. But but in this way, it's like, at some point, when when you would sort of think like, okay, we've reached the end of the second act, I suppose. It's, it, it's, it's really well done. And I was like, oh, there's 45 minutes left. Uh, okay, what's going to happen? I'm like, all right, I can kind of predict. And... We should go through the whole thing, but this, this is the point of the film when I was like, okay, so she's going to be tortured for a while, then escape, and then kill everybody. You know, that's that. <laughs> right. I've seen movies. I know no. what happens. And then you remembered, this is a European film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, and that's definitely not what happens. But that was time and time again, there was like, what is going to happen? And almost, almost any time you stop the movie, I could not have guessed what was going to happen next no it was only there was only one thing one surprise i was like okay i could have guessed that and that that was a surprise that the family really were torturing people i was like okay at this point i'm like i bet despite all appearances this woman was right when she came in and found this family and murdered them although it seemed you that's know. interesting because you know i i'm not as well versed in the genre as you are um you are fighting to change that 
but I, in, in that second section, I, I was willing to go with, the, uh, again, what I felt was a sort of a morality play on, is this the right family? And, and is, this, is this movie about sort of questioning revenge as a motivation? Right. And that right. in itself, I've seen before in other films, this film, if that's what it was, was doing a, a, a good job of exploring yep. that theme in its own right. If that were all the film was, you know, that would have been an interesting film. And again, I guess to go back now, in the first section yeah, is the section. most tropey horror film of the three sections. It, yes. it, it's the one that felt the most predictable in terms of its jump scares and setting up this concept of this ghoulish demonic figure haunting this girl. You've got everything from the abandoned warehouse to, you know, this the, the sort of orphanage of troubled youth. Like it's 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 hitting all the right buttons. Yeah. And frankly, was the least interesting section to me because this is why we have a podcast, because those are the things that I feel like I roll uh, seen this before. Totally. I, I, I was with you there. Yeah. I mean, it, I it you're right. It, 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 there's a the, the, the home for girls. There's there's even a little found footage. It's well done. It's good. But uh, but you're right. There was there, there's nothing too too big of a surprise there. And I definitely jumped. There were definitely, you know, they worked those jump scares. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But they are what they are. Uh, the second section, you know, to catch up to where we just were, um, was where I felt like, okay, it feels like we're settling into this space. I, I kind of thought, are we going to go around and, and, and she's going to systematically track down everyone? You know, is this right? Is this some sort of callback to 80s revenge thrillers? So 15 years later, but, but before even that, what was really, really well done, this is like, oh, this is good. We enter into unexplained 15 years later, a family in a nice house. And they are having a wonderfully well-crafted domestic conversation. Well, I mean, actually, first, there's a little bit of a fake scare. It's like a girl running through the house right. screaming, but the, then and a guy tackles her. But then she there's a nice moment where her scream breaks into a smile. It's her and her older brother, and they're wrestling over a love letter from his girlfriend. And we see, oh, this is a family. The mom's out back, you know, working on the plumbing or the sewer system, the dad's making breakfast, they're talking about whether the son is going to drop out of his law school that he's studying. It's all very sweet. She's a swimmer. It's, yeah, it's very sweet. But then... And to me, just from a sort of, again, purely formalistic perspective, that whole segment is brilliant. Yes. Because it, it, it first of all, establishes, okay, we're in a new kind of movie now. Yeah. Uh, we, we, and we're, we're lingering in this bucolic domestic space long enough but we already know the context so we know it's still creepy <laughs> like it felt actually very much and this is a guy I, I point to quite a bit but michael hanukkah it felt very very hanukkah-esque in that sense there's one shot where it lingers on a newspaper article on a fridge yeah. just a beat longer than it should to make you realize all right <laughs> yes something's going on here yeah and sure enough that's an important uh prop but, but but then what's great about it is is like it it it, it tells the audience it's using cinematic language it's saying like hey by the way these are going to be characters you're going to be following for a while we're setting up the aspects of their relationship that are going to come into such play in third act oh my gosh when that little sister goes out of a way to save her older brother it's going to turn that bickering around she has to swim across the channel to save her <laughs> Because right. she's a champion swimmer. Yeah. This dead mouse is incredibly important. <laughs> and then, and, yeah, bam, bam, bam. In comes uh, Lucy and just uh, 
well, and again, there's no way to talk about this movie without talking about spoilers. So if no, you're right. listening to this still, you've either watched it or you're the kind of person who doesn't mind spoilers. Uh, but but yeah, that's the other thing that it does that I think is so frustratingly brilliant uh, is it continues to subvert who you think the story is about. Yep. And even what you think this movie is about. Completely, so, yeah. So the idea of this being a kind of uh, revenge tale Again, that middle section is a is a fascinating psychological exploration of trauma, which yep. and I also sort of picked up the one thing that I predicted, which turned out to be true, was that this ghoulish figure was in her mind, that it was a projection of her trauma. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that was kind of brilliant. It, it did remind me of one of those horror movies I have seen, which is The Babadook. Oh, yeah. That idea of a kind of physical manifestation of a psychological artifact uh, yes. grief or trauma in this case trauma and i thought again i was in fact i had to watch the first half hour and take a break not because i was traumatized but for got busy uh, and i mentioned it to my wife uh who does a lot of trauma-informed therapy and things like that and uh and i was like you know what this this movie's kind of interesting in, in the way that it's it's because i at that point thought okay this is a movie about trauma and how a woman deals with trauma <laughs> by the time it was over i just stopped mentioning it <laughs> ah, yes, I was going to say this. Is, <laughs> don't, don't ever, think... ever watch this movie. Um, yeah, it was interesting. Of like, uh, I, I saw that too. That the the monster was obviously a manifestation of her her own mind, her own thoughts. And I was like, I was thinking about the name martyrs. I was like, oh, okay. So perhaps the idea here is that violence, torture, the violence that we put out there in the world, it either creates martyrs or monsters, and that that like the. The, the violence that we put out into the world is creating monsters. And we see this young girl who's gone into this house and seems to, uh, you know, as, as we're watching it, seems to have murdered an innocent family of four people. And, 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 right. and she can't help it in some ways. She's a monster. She's become a monster because of the monstrous acts put upon her in her childhood. And then you have her friend who's frantically, like a mother in, in the first chunk of the film, is trying mm -hmm. to clean up after her, trying to keep things together, also trying to maybe save the the mother of this family who didn't die actually, and it's it really is really well done and 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 terrifying. It's a terrifying whole sequence. There's not a lot of room to rest in this movie at all. No, and that's and that's where you know the longer we spent in that house, I kept thinking, when are they moving yeah. on? When are we moving on from this? And no, we just had to sit in that space with that carnage and that sense of dread. And again, I, I agree. I looked at the clock and was like, we still have an hour. What, what, what are we, are they going to eat them? Like what else can they do? And, and then it once again subverts our expectation, not only of who this movie is about, but what the movie is. About. Yes. Which gets us to the, the, the third part of the movie. So, so Lucy dies by her own hand, sort of, partially killed by this monster that she only sees, only she sees, but then breaks through a glass window. Thank you, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> and, mm. and then, uh, and then takes, takes her own life and which leaves, leaves her friend. And then that's when Anna just finds that this family that seems so nice actually were performing the torturous acts exactly like her friend had, had believed the whole time that she actually had found them. That was a cool moment. Right. And uh, yes, at a creepy moment, uh, and of course, discovers in this much more updated modern torture chamber beneath the house, a another victim that she tries to save. Who is again, very much so, been transformed into a monster. 
Like this, this yes. person has a you know bolted uh, metal uh, type helmet thing blinding her. Uh, she's been transformed into a terrifying monster. And since Lucy was always haunted by the actual woman that she left behind in that torture chamber, you know that was part of like what she was tortured by. That was the image of the monster she saw. It was really terrifying to see a real person in that situation. Ugh. And and then we get this this new movie. Yep. In the trilogy, <laughs> that is this bizarre cabal of metaphysicists <laughs> who it turns out are trying to get a glimpse into the afterlife by creating martyrs. Yep. Out of very intentionally and specifically and articulated women. But they they said we tried everything, even children. We found women. Women were the most successful. Right. And uh, and so and so Anna, who you realize has been the the purest figure in the in the film, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of her she's she's still and this is what again, frustratingly skillful filmmaking, she is both pure and intrinsically good and still interesting. Yeah. Uh, as a character, yeah. which is so hard to do. I do wish she had called for an ambulance when she got oh, that yes. woman out of the basement. I'm like, just that don't put her true. in the bathtub. Just call an ambulance right now. They should. She should have called the police as soon as she found the underground chamber. I, I do agree. That was the one area where I felt like the filmmakers were probably going, well, hopefully they won't notice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then we get, uh, you know, this... This terrible, this terrible, brutal section where Anna is turned into one of these monsters in hopes that she will have a glimpse of the afterlife. She is beaten. She is subjugated. She is. It's terrible. She is eventually skinned alive. I was like, oh, my God, what are they going to do to her? What they can't do anything worse than they've done. It's done. Oh, they skinned her alive. OK. Oh, and somehow, mercifully, I don't know if they ran out of money, but at that point, I just thought. Well, why chicken out now? You don't even show the flailing. I, I actually mean, you show they, her without her skin, but they don't actually show the flailing. I think they did that kind of interestingly. They, they were, I think they basically said, you know what? We've shown you all these horrible things, and now we're just going to let you try and guess. We're just going to show her face going through something really, really painful, and on her face is, like, surprisingly painful. So, like, yeah. what is surprisingly painful at this point? And it, it turns out it's being flailed. Yes. Uh, so then, yes, then she she achieves martyrdom, right? And then, so then the, the the film becomes this, in the abstract, an interesting philosophical exploration of of uh, the nature of the afterlife, the nature of life itself, of 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 transcendence. There's the of transcendence. Yeah, that yeah, the aspect exactly. that that through pain, through giving up of oneself, maybe also in this case a little bit through motherhood, right, is, is, is seemed to be implied a little bit. Like, that, that through giving up of oneself, you, you transcend yourself and you transcend this earthly realm, which is what this, these aging folks who show up that all look like Republicans to me. I don't know if... They- <laughs> They, no, it's Europe, so they look like fascists. Yeah, they're, they're old white. Although people. that's quickly becoming a blurred line, even here. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so you're welcome, all Republicans who. So, sorry, podcast. sorry, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Republican. Uh, but but yeah, they they're all hoping to get some description, a specific description of what the other side looks like. For them, it's still very much like afterlife. 
uh, but they're not given that. Well, and, and I will say too, what's what's interesting about the the rather abrupt ending, mm-hmm. where of course it's not revealed, right? But you are left with a sense of. So I guess we'll just go ahead. We've already spoken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the 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 matron of this whole operation that's been pursuing this as a kind of scientific experiment for a couple decades is told with Anna's sort of not dying breath because she doesn't die. Nope. She's continued in this transcendental state. She whispers to her what she sees as the afterlife. And rather than share that truth, uh, the matron puts a gun in her mouth and eats a bullet. It was like the, the ending that we didn't have for Lost in Translation. <laughs> um, are you saying it should have ended that way? No, just that was like the extended ending, the director's ending of Lost in Translation. <laughs> After Bill Murray whispers, <laughs> um, Scarlett so, Johansson. <laughs> which one eats the bullet? Well, it'll be Scarlett so. Johansson because she's yeah. doesn't Bill whisper to her. I can't. It's been a while. So you're left with okay. Does she do that because she can't wait to get there? Because whatever was described was so beautiful, right? Or is it so horrific, so horrific that that uh, she may as well end it now? Or is there nothing? And why delay the inevitable? You know that. You could go, you know, any of those directions, which is both interesting and also a little infuriating. Mm. Because if you're going to take me through all that, I kind of feel like you should have a point of view. But I still appreciate the ambiguity. Yeah. There's something kind of nice, like you can't you can't voice transcendence. You know, we don't have the language for it. So here's. So, yeah. Here's what what where... do you think? Yeah. What do you think the movie's about? You kept saying frustrating, like you frustratingly Here's, well, here's, well yeah. okay, for, my first level of frustration is I feel, myself, I feel tortured. And I cannot fall back on uh, bad bad technique uh-huh. in the way that I can, even if you disagree with me, on a lot of the movies that we've watched. Yeah. That I can dismiss so much of it because I, I don't appreciate the craft. In this one, it's really hard to argue with the craft. It is a very well-crafted film. Um, second, if it's, if I were to be nitpicky at all, it would be just pick a fucking movie and make that movie. Oh, hmm. But, but the, the turns felt interesting, but almost like a filmmaking experiment rather than a cohesive whole. And I, I would have, I can't say would have rather it's the filmmakers film. I'm not going to remake their film for them after the fact. Uh, but if you were going to explore these existential questions, I would have perhaps appreciated a more consistent attack of that question that that made it feel more cohesive. But it's somewhat nitpicky because I can also see the 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 value in in the way that it was approached in the sense that you know it kept me guessing. Yeah, and it felt like a kind of a puzzle that kept opening itself to me, and and that was cool. Yeah, and it's part of that whole. I mean, I don't know too much about the movement, the like the new French extremity movement. I suppose is what it's called. And, and part of that is to be like, let's mess with what films usually are um, sure. and, and, and surprise you. But, I, but the idea, you're so right that you feel tortured in this film. Like you're, you're watching these moments, including a, a man silently beating up a young girl. And, 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 and it's, it's not done fun. It's not, and it doesn't have uh, the payoff of her revenge or anything like that. And the filmmaker knows what he's doing. Like he—he's not. It's not a mistake. He's showing you this on purpose. Um, so you are feeling tortured. Do you feel then it wasn't worth it? 
Is that why it's like, like I, I, you like, no, don't show me that. I, I don't want to see that. Like what, what? Yeah. That yes, that's a big part of it. Is is on the one hand, you know, and where I'm where I'm struggling here is I don't know, in some ways, why these kinds of movies have to exist. And and, and it actually reminds me a lot of Funny Games. Yes. Um, yeah. As a film, which I would you feel, love? Yeah. Or you uh, like? Well, love is a strong word. <laughs> I I deeply respect Hanukkah as a filmmaker. And I feel like that was his version of a film where he said basically to his audience, okay, you like these thrillers of home invasion thrillers and you know, you, you get this sort of cathartic kick out of seeing brutality. Um, I'm going to see how far uh, you're willing to go with that. Yeah. And you have that brilliant moment where, you know, one of the attackers, you know, hits rewind almost as a, a way of Hanukkah saying it's all a movie, right? And in some ways, I feel like this film falls in that same category of people like you, Owen, uh -huh. who say you like these kinds of things. Um, is there a line? Is there a, and that's, I guess, this idea of a French new, new extremity movement. Um, perhaps that's where they're going with this or someone like Lars von Trier mm. uh, tends to do this as well. Um, is there is there a line where where regardless of how well-crafted, it ceases to become entertaining and become something else? So this is a great question. And uh, this is actually a great movie that I don't have a strong opinion of. I just have a lot of questions and thoughts about. So it's actually pretty cool to discuss it. Like there is this aspect when she, when, when, when Anna is first going down into the underground torture chamber, she first, before getting there, she's in this clean, well-lit room. It's almost like a museum. And in this yes. museum, on the walls are framed images of people in immense pain. Later, we learn that some of them were being tortured. Some of them were experiencing the last stages of cancer. Um, that there were a bu bunch of different things that were happening to these individuals had to reach this p point of pain that led to transcendence to martyrdom. Um, but it was interesting. I was like, oh, these, this is framed real-life pain or violence, which is exactly what we're watching of like well-lit, and it sort of raises this question, is there something beautiful about violence? Because a lot of the horror movies that I watch, they have those moments where it's like, oh my God, that was so beautiful or cool, the way that person died or anything like that. And this movie kind of steered away from that. It just showed you a bunch of violence. It was never cool or fun. The only moment that it kind of even hinted at it's kind of beautiful was when Lucy slit her own throat which they cut away from the actual slice but when they go back to her it's kind of raining and outside it goes to slow motion she falls on her knees as her back neck goes open and the blood spools down it's definitely done with this with this uh dramatic uh beauty and 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 uh, and and a little I don't know, framed beauty, you know, to it. And I, I, so I started thinking about that, like, oh my gosh, what, how am I feeling about violence? Which actually started getting me thinking about, like, films, you know, overall, not not just even horror movies. I, I was actually thinking in the sense of martyrdom. So uh, The Passion of, of, of uh, Joan of Arc, mm -hmm. uh, Dreyer's movie. Um, of course. And if you guys who haven't seen it, this is a, a silent film, um, Passion of Joan of Arc. Uh, they actually... The original was lost for decades and decades, but they found it again. It's a, it's a brilliant, 
beautiful silent it's film. You'll amazing. watch this yes. and you'll go, oh, we really haven't become better filmmakers. <laughs> We're still right. doing it. But that has these moments of violence and these moments of bloodletting. And we, we just get these close-ups of the actress playing Joan of Arc as she is just weeping. And we're, we're watching her steps to martyrdom. But I'm imagining, although I haven't read about this, I'm imagining that people at the time were like, whoa, what are you doing showing me this? What are you doing making this look beautiful? But of course, all our stories of martyrs are these kind of stories where like the old stories of first and second century, third century martyrs, we loved hearing about. How, going back to the the, the passion part of the gospel. Well, uh, and that's exactly what I was just thinking. Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ, yeah. which I have not seen, oh. but was not only a huge theatrical success, but was notable for its gore and its brutality in the filming of the crucifixion. Again, haven't seen it. Yeah. Well, I mean, but even when I was like, as as a teenager, was being told about the cross, like we're we're gonna really tell it to you now. It it had all these details about how gruesome an execution was. Um, I don't think they were exaggerated or anything. Uh, they were glorified in some way because it was, for one thing, it grabbed the teenager's attention. Um, but it also there's you there's something so very visceral to hearing how someone's. Uh, Flesh is stripped from their back by the Romans' whips, and uh, and where exactly the nail went, and, and and death by asphyxiation because you're hanging from your arms and your lungs were uh, contracted. Like, the, what is it about us that we we tell ourselves these stories that are so violent, like that, and that we we, we glorify violence, which is exactly what the people at the heart of this movie are doing. They're glorifying violence as a way to transcendence. And in some ways that could be a commentary on, as you're, I guess, what you're implying, a commentary on society as a whole and, and history. Yes. Like maybe we're, we're those old white people showing up to see how beautiful her face looks when she's in the most unimaginable pain. And that makes me feel gross and dirty and wrong. <laughs> That's what I'm left with is, is feeling. Yeah culpable um both for consuming it as a piece of entertainment but also for just being a human being and that's the thing that i kept having to come back to as i was forcing myself to continue watching it was thinking about like that horrific story of those women imprisoned in that house in cincinnati or wherever that was for years yeah. and years and, yeah. and knowing that this shit happens like that this kind shit of brutality happens. yeah happens and we look away at our peril in the sense of of naming it and recognizing it and recognizing our complicity by the nature of the fact of of sharing space with such brutality of being human in a sense that we're all on a sliding scale of depravity uh at least i believe that and uh yeah and so on this is why i feel so conflicted about this movie would never recommend it to anyone but feel conflicted because I, I I recognize both its brilliance as a in terms of its filmmaking craft uh, and that that what it is doing exactly as you just pointed out uh, I ignore it at my peril in some ways um, if I'm going to be a human being and want to understand the depths of suffering now that's complicated again it is very interesting that they make it very clear that sexual assault is not a part of the brutality. 
And right. And that I, is interesting. There's right. no and sexual I assault. Appreciated that and recognized that that was a very overt statement. They they made it clear that it is a woman who's at the top of the pyramid running this thing. Those to me, I felt right. like were were attempts at sort of correctives at keeping this from being simply a kind of misogynist tale of brutality. Right. It's, I mean, it's not, I, I, it's interesting because I wouldn't, it's not, it's not exploitation of violence. Like, you know, there's definitely been a slew of movies that have been like, you know, of an incredibly hot lady tied up and she's like, oh no, this is horrible. And I'm like, it's kind of horrible. You know, whatever it's trying right. to get from the audience where, where there is that sort of sexy violence. Um, uh, th- this movie never, never plays into sexy violence. No. There's nothing, nothing sexy. No, and that's about why, this. and I agree with you. The the scenes that I found in some ways the most brutal were the least gory, and that was the oh yes towards the end with the um, the torturer, who was fully dressed, um, well you know clean cut guy, uh, though quite large, um, just yeah. beating her, uh, just very deliberately taking breaks in between and and punching her in the face ruthlessly with no cool cuts, no interesting angles, just sort of sat in a long shot and watched it happen and made you sit there. And seemingly no motive, which again sort of led me back to um, seeing those framed photos and the photos that the mademoiselle, the, the head of the cult organization uh, shows Anna of these other people who have achieved some level of martyrdom that they're like, oh, some, you know, one was cancer. Uh, one, I forget, was actually being tortured. One, there were different things, but all of them seemed somewhat kind of meaningless. And I started to think about like those moments when you're in those pain, you're like, if only I was thinking like, like if I was in that situation, I would just want a why, like, why are you doing this? How does this make sense? And the same thing that I think, you know, Job begs of God, right? Of like, wh- wh- what's the reason? Like, if, if I'm suffering so horribly, at, at least give me a reason so this makes some kind of sense. And that particular sequence, there's nothing, she never gets any of that. A man comes in. Well, and I, I think even Jesus on the cross. Yeah. Um, why have you forsaken me? It, it, you know, and I'm sure theologians would disagree on... How much was Jesus in on God's plan? If you, if you like me, believe in a plan, um, you know where's that? Where does that come from? Um, and it, I think it comes from that sense of being hopelessly lost in the midst of deep suffering, mm. and and that's a kind of universal human, unfortunately, universal human experience that it's difficult to to make sense of great suffering, even if you are someone of great faith. Even if, arguably, you are God incarnate, it's hard to make sense of senseless suffering. Right. And and perhaps in the message of this film, because of course they're referencing Jesus. I mean, her draped down in, in a crucifix form and her eyes reminiscent of uh, so many, you know, Renaissance pi- pictures of the crucifixion. She, she speaks something that cannot be said. Right, she speaks like this is what this transcendence has shown me, and even when it's shown us, when we go into her eyeball, we're we're shown no images that we could really like. It's you know it's two thousand one images. Um, it's it's nothing that we can kind of go oh, and there's a heaven and it looks like this streets of gold, and and there's a hell with pitchforks. Like it's nothing like that. Um, it's it's much stranger uh, that that. And that's the only, the only moment in some ways of, of hope 
if you can call it that, is beyond <laughs> senseless, seemingly, yeah, I would say senseless suffering, beyond outrageous suffering, there is a, a, a transcendence that is some has beauty and peace. <laughs> do, do you believe that? <laughs> I, I don't know. Is that true? Uh, well, I believe, you know, suffering or no, I do believe there is a transcendent peace that is available to all of creation. Yes. Do, do you think uh, this movie believes that? I don't know. I don't know what this movie believes, honestly. And and that's both uh, infuriating and respectable. <laughs> um, and that's why that's why it, it's a difficult one for me. You know, I feel like the movies that I have liked so far in our trip through a genre uh, is has been the exorcist and and the shining um you know the exorcist because of its exploration of faith despite the the horror bits that i could do without and the shining for its style and the way that it explores you know the the setting um this one this one is operating on so many different levels that i still haven't quite got my head around um that, that that that's in part why uh, I'm sort of at war with myself because again I would net I just actually I had a student in my office just yesterday uh, who who I mentioned the movie to and immediately regretted it oh <laughs> because I thought please don't go watch this movie please <laughs> please don't subject yourself to this movie and the weird thing is I know that for some of our listeners their immediate response to a statement like that is where can I buy it well, you know let me add it yeah and. And I'm not, again, I will say it till I'm blue in the face, I'm not judging that instinct, that response, but I do wonder about it. What is that? And and I do think there is a, a real dividing line between, you know, those who who want to see how far they can go down the rabbit hole of disturbing images and go the grotesque and those who uh, want to protect some semblance of uh, purity in their mind's eye and not want to fill it with the imagery this movie has for them. But, but that said, um, and, and maybe taking the word entertainment out of this, we definitely, I would think, we go to films and literature and art not just for entertainment. Uh, we, we go for something more than that. We go for something to tell us about what it is to be human. Uh, and in this particular one, uh, I... I, th I think you're right. There are some people like, I just want to see the crazy stuff. You know, the same people who are renting Faces of Death uh, or trying to buy illegal copies of it or whatever it was uh, back in the 80s. Um, but then there are other people who, like you and I have discussed, like people are right this second suffering. There are, there are children right. trapped in horrific situations. And and it's it's beyond my comprehension. I Like, I, I don't understand there. So part of what I want art to help me do is explore those places that terrify me, thrill me, and 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 fill me with a sense of awe, even if it's horrific awe. And so, um, you know, in this way, this movie aims to do that. You know, it aims to do that, and it it gives. It, I was fascinated in the fact that it gave me you no know, sort of the genre satisfaction. The genre thing would have been she gets out and kills everybody, and we feel great at the end. Um, you know, Get Out does that really well, and we're cheering. And it has all the questions, but it has sort of this nice, wrapped up in a really nice genre story. And this one does something very different. And um, and maybe it's stuff that I, 
I'm uncomfortable, but I need to be thinking about. What is the nature? It, it, I don't have an answer. I, I, I know you do have a belief in a plan and a belief that suffering can be redeemed. Uh, in fact, maybe is always redeemed on a universal scale. And I don't have that faith. And so I, I where do I put this? Where do I put the mm-hmm. immense suffering of, of the world around me and people? I, I don't know. Well, and that's where, again, I'm conflicted because... I don't think the answer is don't make art like this and certainly don't watch it because that is a version of looking away of, of not accepting that such suffering exists at the same time. This is the, the, the artistic creation of a, a white male and may or may not reach transcendence itself in terms of transcending its authorship. But that is the one piece of it, especially when I think of it in terms of the male gaze, that I keep coming back to, despite you know the the matron, the mademoiselle at the head, and and the fact that there's no uh, sexual assault as kind of um, hedging against that. It's still hard for me to to get away from, and you know, you and I, two white dudes talking about this. I wonder are there limits to our ability to see its problematic nature? in terms of its brutality, specifically towards women, and even in its view of women as particularly capable of transcendence is its own version of a kind of male gaze, this view of women as somehow having access to innocence uh, is is its own kind of form of infantilization, potentially. Um, I don't know. I'd love to hear, you know, what Bell Hooks thinks of this movie. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, But that still lingers in the back of my mind as well. along with the points that you just made, which I think are valid. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 I hear that as well. And, and, uh, I, yeah, I don't know what the answer is, uh, in, with that, you know, uh, but, but I, I, I can hear that as, as worthy of discussion. Um, although it does pass the Bechtel test. So it's got that going for it. <laughs> You're right. It does. It does. <laughs> I bet the studios were like, we're looking for a movie with a strong female lead. <laughs> Well, and, hey. and we're, we're, we're probably uh, pushing our, our limits in terms of time, but we should at least mention that yes. uh, this, you know, was a French film from 2008. And uh, it, I had to sort of double check with you to make sure we weren't supposed to be watching the 2015 remake, the American yeah. remake of this film. Did you do any research on that and, and sort of what, what that did with the subject? You know, I have not. I, it's interesting because it's, it's a Blumhouse remake, isn't it? I believe it is. I believe it is, uh, and it, it's uh, it was Daniel uh, Stam who did it. Daniel Stam did the Last Exorcism, which is a pretty cool uh, found footage film. Um, I don't know. I, I I actually don't know anything about the remake outside I, of that. I uh, do know it was universally panned. I think it got about fifteen percent. I know this because I wasn't sure if that's the one we were supposed to be watching, and so I was trying to find it. Uh, it got about a fifteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and 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 after I watched this one, though I tend not to like to do research. I was kind of curious, what would a sort of American-backed um, version of this film look like? You know, how would the machine, the entertainment machine of Hollywood uh, approach this material? And sure enough, apparently, uh, in the U.S. version, there is a triumphant ending. There is an escape and a killing of the bad guys and uh, oh, yep. a, a sort of sense of, of hope at the end. 
And it's interesting that it did so. Po- now, I don't know. I haven't seen it. So maybe it did poorly because there are other, you know, issues with the film in terms of craft or performance or any number of things. But I wonder if you do that with this material, do you undercut what makes it compelling uh, by by giving it the Hollywood ending? It's a great question. Uh, by, by the way, I just looked it up as you were talking. I was listening to though, Russell. I'm always I'm listening. Sure. Sure. Uh, Daniel Stamp did not actually direct it. When the budget went lower, uh, he, he took himself off it. But the guy who wrote it, Mark L. Smith, he he did say, this is a, a quote uh, about the original film, is very nihilistic. The American approach that I'm looking at would go through all that darkness, but then give him a glimmer of hope. You don't have to shoot yourself when it's over. Um, and I think it has a current 7% on Rotten Tomatoes. You know, that's so interesting uh, because 7%. Oh, that's good. Uh those two two of those statements are so interesting to me because what's again i keep coming back to this what is sort of infuriating about the movie is that it does end on a glimmer of hope that 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 it takes you through all that and there is this sense that that anna has achieved some sense of blissful transcendence which is just i want to punch the director in the face for making me feel that way but, <laughs> after but going through also all that. actually i think that that's kind of amazing i mean that final shot is we're going down to her of like Oh my, oh my, I mean, I think it's for me, you know, I always love it when a film is able to do something with like, okay, there's, there's A and B, right? There's like, she survives and gets out. She dies, right? In this horrible situation. And and they're, they're the two endings, right? Mm -hmm. She gets out or she dies. Uh, And then instead they, they give me, she, this weird third <laughs> where right. she's like no she escaped but she's still there and she has like it's and i this think weird... it's kind of a shame that in our cultural matrix of how films work that is to say in the united states we don't seem to have a lot of room for that third way yeah and, and i think that's a pity that 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 it has to be sort of let's go all dark or a happy ending or you know the, the quote-unquote hollywood Ending. I I'm re- I recall a story of of Irving Thalberg. One of the first movies he took over at MGM mm-hmm. uh, was a Thomas Hardy novel, um, Tess of the Dubervilles or Dubervilles, uh, and he had them change the ending um, uh. that that she doesn't die, uh, uh. and and that she gained some sense of justice. And even Thomas Hardy said, <laughs> "What are you doing? <laughs> why why are you changing the ending of my novel?" And uh, Thalberg was like, eh, you know, we need a happy ending. This is Hollywood. Like that was sort of the birth of the Hollywood ending. Um, wow. And, That's amazing. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, we, we did that even with this. And the other interesting thing about his quote is you don't want to shoot yourself at the end. You know, there's a double entendre there. Like, you mean me as an audience member? Or do you mean <laughs> the character at the end who shoots themselves? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure but which you know, one you're referring to. It, it is interesting that some movies, for example, and, and this is, should be a, a conversation we get into, there's like the, the film version of Stephen King's The Mist, a short story of his, uh, has a particularly dark, dark ending. It's it's just probably the most discussed point of that film. And for me, I'm like, oh, you missed it. You missed it because your film wasn't about that. It wasn't about this sort of nihilism and you're, you end with this nihilistic thing that feels, to me, totally off. Uh, and of course, Get Out, which I know you have seen, right, Russell? Yes. So get out. Um, quite famously, uh, the, that the ending was going to be uh, uh, that basically our main character 
is the cops come upon him as he's killing off the, the his girlfriend who was one of his kidnappers, one of his torturers, and he's like he ends up in jail. So the last shot was him in jail right. for killing white people, and it's like Wah! like thematically perfect, right? But but Jason Blum along with other people at Blumhouse said, you know what? Totally get it thematically, right on. But you've made a, a fun movie that has this entertainment. So so give us that ending. That with while also hinting at it, so he does a brilliant thing of like a guy shows up in lights. We imagine that dark ending. We know totally where reality would go, but blah, but you know, Peel's like, I'm not in reality. We're we're in a a popcorn movie. We're in mm-hmm. a we're in a movie. So I'm going to give you the ending that you so desire. Yeah. Um, this movie does something <laughs> different. This movie yes. is. I mean, like I I saw this movie at home. I'm trying to imagine like go to the Alamo. Draft house, order a beer, some pizza. Hey, this should be for. Oh my god! <laughs> and again, I think, you know, folks listening to this, for the most part, I imagine are horror fans and just like yes. to listen to me and silently disagree, or maybe not so silently as they're listening. They, uh, they and, get a lot of joy out of judging you, as if it's been my relationship with you for years. <laughs> and I do feel like this is the this this is the kind of movie that is the litmus, right? Is this the kind of movie that you listen to this conversation for fifty minutes and you think, "I sign me up, I gotta go see this thing," or do you say, "Okay, good to know, never watch Martyrs"? Uh, and I think there are just sort of two. There are more than two kinds of people, but there are two kinds of people. Uh, when it comes to movies like this, this movie does not change the fact that I'm the kind of person that it would rather not uh, watch a movie like this. And yet, yes. I, I have to give it some begrudging respect. Um, it's one of those. It's one of the first movies we've watched where uh, we can ignore form because it's it's unassailable in many ways in that regard, and just have to deal with the content. And I, and I mean, frankly, for your sake. For the sake of your genre, I wish more movies would force me to confront content in the same way. Mm, um, I hear you. But I do think your this genre in particular uh, tends to forgive poor craft um, too often. So there's my snide little jab. I know. We just got in there right genre. at the end. Huh? Just... <laughs> well, I say this about this film too, which is really interesting, is uh, there's uh, the films that have sort of terror and surprises. There are films that are fun. Nightmare on Elm Street has a lot of fun uh, in its jump scares and its imagery. Uh, There's a constant state of of terror like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And then there's something that's just horror. Uh, Not in the genre sense, but in the sort of (laughs) deep soul sense. This film film was continually horrifying. And, And I found it really impressive on that level of horror if you, if you early on, you start with a kid being tortured, then early on you go to a family murdered in their own home. And now you're, you're not yet 45 minutes into the film. It doesn't seem like, well, where are you going to go from here? Where are you going to, and they're like, well, we're just going to really, as you said, go down the rabbit hole. But like, we're going to go down to like, what, the real horror. Hmm. <laughs> it's a, uh, it was a descent. All right. So, um, Favorite scene, least favorite scene. Uh, this one's trickier, partly because you hadn't seen it before, so you're not having to process all of your nostalgic love for the film. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna say um, I think I had um, uh, um, 
two favorite scenes, two moments. One is definitely the conversation of the family through to the shooting of everyone in the family. Mm-hmm. I thought that was done really, really well. It was terrifying when the teenage 18-year-old boy is shot, uh, which we don't see her pull the trigger. We just see the him, the explosion. That was just so scary and 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 also kind of beautifully done, including the expression on Lucy's face the whole time. The other is the moment when Anna finds the woman in the... Uh, in the basement and and just reaches out a hand to her and the woman takes her hand and you just sort of get the feeling like she hasn't had a touch of compassion mm. like actually a physical touch of compassion in however long and that that really that got me i i hurt for her in that moment do you have do you have a least favorite oh man i don't know um uh, you know i suppose if if anything it's so small but i suppose the the sort of uh eight millimeter film of right. the two girls at the beginning. Right. Um, I, th- I I think actually that would have been fine in so many movies. I just felt that for this particular one that was less impressive and less stylistically uh, impressive than so much of the rest of the movie. Yeah, I agree with that. There was a lot in those first few minutes that felt, again, I felt like, oh, okay, I know this movie. And, and then I was pleasantly and unpleasantly surprised that it wasn't that. Um, you know... I want to say my least favorite was uh, the brutal beating in the basement, just on principle. Um, th- though I can't argue that it's it was well done. But my favorite scene is also tricky. Um, but there was, and this is so hard for me. But there was this this moment when Anna hears Lucy whispering to her. Oh yeah. In the midst of her torture, mm. and. And not unlike the moment you described of her reaching out to the tortured woman and 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 that the intimacy of that touch. There was there was something so beautiful about about her hearing Lucy and the look. I mean the the performance is incredible. Um, yeah. And what makes me uneasy, even queasy, about even choosing that is that that scene only has power because of my least favorite scene, which is her brutal beating. Yeah. So you can't have one without the other. And again, just makes me angry at the filmmaker for making me feel that way. You know, this is such a little sidebar, but uh, there's a Tolstoy short story, and I cannot remember which one this is, but a Tolstoy short story, which has this very interesting thing. It's about a man. He's kind of a dull guy. He's a clerk of some kind. He's got a wife. Um, It just describes his life. Uh, you know, where he went to school. He didn't do anything extraordinary. He, he's got this sort of room, house, and his wife is coming, and he's, he gets very into decorating the house. He's super excited about it. This is kind of wakes his passion. And then he kind of falls by putting up a curtain. He knocks his side and is dying. He turns out like he ruptured something, and he's, he's dying, and he's in bed and everything like that. And what's amazing is at the very end of the whole story, like he is just in his head. He's in his head. Some people have come to see him, but he's on his deathbed and everyone's sort of backing away a little bit. And he goes through this transcendent understanding of life, of God, of salvation. He goes through this whole moment where his life becomes suddenly, in some ways, extraordinary, in, in some ways saved uh, in this moment on his deathbed, in these hours on his deathbed. And then he dies and the sort of last part of the story is, I think, the housekeeper saying, oh, it was so hard. His last hours, we couldn't understand a word he said, and he was moaning into the night and then finally passed away. And you know what was experienced by the rest of the world is just 
moaning and low-level pain on the road to death was actually the most essential hours of his entire life. Hmm. And that, that moment in there reminded me of that. Interesting. Um, so uh, uh, next time, do you have... Do you have- I do. I had picked out a film. A slightly uh, lighter fare. <laughs> well, now I'm like, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it now, but I'm going to reserve the right to you and I talk about it and go back on it. But I was thinking, um, I was like, oh, we're into the European thing. This could be fun. Let's watch The Descent. We haven't watched The Descent yet. We keep talking about it. It's so fun. It's scary. Um, that was what was going to be my suggestion. Okay. I mean, you, you know, for that? I can't say no. Like, I don't think I have veto power in this situation. You can give me veto power. We can watch Monster Squad. I don't even know what that is. Oh, man. And that's the horror. So, uh, Owen, where, where can we find you out in the world? You can find me on Twitter at, uh, at Owen underscore Edgerton, O-W-E-N underscore E-G-E-R-T-O-N. How about you, Dr. Sharman? And you can find me at, at Russell Sharman. We also would love to hear from you out there in the world. If you want to drop us a line through Twitter or send us a longer email at thehorrorpod at gmail.com. Send us suggestions, although yes. uh, I'm not so sure about the last one, but um, thanks. We've been having some suggestions on Twitter, too, which is I really appreciate. Some good ideas. And uh, please go to iTunes and rate us on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you hear the podcast. Uh, That really helps bring in new listeners. So um, so, uh, thanks so much, Owen. In any moment, I'm going to wake up in a dungeon and realize this is all a dream. Yeah, and then I'm going to come on down that ladder. (laughs) Uh, Until next time. (laughs) 